There we go. We'll get started in just a second. Yes. Oh, just just crack it, yeah. Thank you. Sorry to lock you out. I'm one of those professors. You don't get here two minutes early. I just lock you out. Can't come in. basketball coach that was one of my teammates was on time it was the very first time we ever met and he got in trouble for not being 10 minutes early and we'd never met this coach he was looking for reasons to get rid of people so he made one up we had a we had two people transfer person fake an injury no really he faked an injury for the whole season so that he didn't have to play for this coach. I was in my senior year, or otherwise I would have been gone. This coach has now since been removed from his last job. He's in his late 60s now for player abuse. Just doing the same stuff that he did with us. So He, he was a piece of work. Oh, just call you every name in the book and treat you like the dog? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a wild. It was a wild year. We had a we had a practice where he he said something I can't repeat to one of the players, 
and it was so offensive that I can't even blame the kid. He charged him, and he was going to deck him. Nice. Unfortunately, the assistant coach tackled him before he got there. <laughs> oh, I would have loved it if he would have just punched him, because he would have been done. I mean, he, he would have, his job would have been, it would have been the end of his. We would have had an assistant coach as the head coach, and it would have been wonderful. <laughs> but I played, I played for three coaches in college, and I had, it was, it was particularly hard because I had just had a coach that I really liked, that I respected, that, that was LDS, that treated us well. And then this new guy came in, and he was the exact opposite. So it was tricky. All right, let's get started. Who would, who would like to say the prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this day and for the time we get to gather together as a class and learn about the executive branch. We pray that you will have thy spirit here to teach us and help us remember what we need to know. We love thee and say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, it's been a little while. I feel like this class, we should, we should probably meet on President's Day because it is a class about the presidency, but there would be a mutiny maybe if we try to do that. So hopefully, hopefully maybe you thought about presidents a little bit on President's Day, or reflected on what we're studying. Well, I was yeah, I went and had a little fun. So, um, couple of couple of things before we get into FDR, I, you know. We're, we are switching gears, so you've read, you've read this first chapter. It's a little different than the textbook. Um, it is kind of a biographies of these presidents, short biographies of these presidents, and then we're kind of reading them, focusing on leadership style and, and those characteristics and remembering that this is a class about the presidency. We can take these things and apply them to business leaders or, or whoever, or you know, even in our own lives. You know, we're all we're all businesses where we can influence people. What can we take from learning about these presidents to kind of incorporate to our you know to our own lives? But um, I once had a don't do this. I once had a student evaluate me on these six categories. Oh. Yeah, and like gave me some minuses. So that's, that's what you don't do, right? You got to see. <laughs> no, he was pretty good. He, I think he got me on organizational style a little bit, which is fair. It's fair. So, um, okay. So yeah, it is about presidents, but it's also about that le those leadership characteristics, and that's why that's what I really like about teaching this class is, you know, it it translates out into into other things pretty well. If you're going to start talking about presidents, we're really focusing. Why not start with somebody who a lot of people have number one, right? So it's a good place to start. Um, anyways, before we get to him, are you working on your papers? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, there's, you know, we don't have that much longer till they're, we're, we're in what, week eight now? Yeah. So these last four or five weeks move really, really quick. Okay. So be working on that. Let me know if I can help. One thing, and I'm going to play a little clip from it here in a minute, and I'm going to use a couple. I think I'm using a couple on online days. There's a podcast called Presidential. Have I talked about this already? So Presidential, Washington Post. Has anybody listened to an episode of Presidential yet? Okay. So for your, the person you're writing about, did you listen to? 
So that's what I was going to remember to tell you guys. It does a really good job. If you're doing a modern president, FDR forward, I think a good place, and you've already started, but a good place to, to get some information to get you to think a little bit are those podcasts. Um, I know that. I was reminded of that again when I was listening a little bit of the FDR one. But it's called presidential, and I'll show you. So I'm going to play a little clip here in a minute. But so if you go to right here, Washington Post, it's on Spotify. It's wherever you get your podcast. This is directly from I think the Washington Post website. She does. She does all of them starting with Washington through Trump. So. Um, they, they look like they have a thing on Joe Biden too. And, and a new one on Joe Biden? Yeah. Okay. Is anybody doing Joe Biden? Pretty recent. So. Anyways, the, the, she does a really nice job of, of doing some things we're going to do in here, but also like stuff related kind of to what the purpose of the paper is, which sort of psycho, a little psychoanalysis of the president. The FDR podcast, and I'll talk about the FDR podcast today and some of the things I'll say, is really good about getting into the influences, talking about Eleanor and how influential Eleanor is on his presidency and all of that. So um, I would highly suggest it. So, and then what she'll do is take a focus. And again, you'll, even if you don't listen to it for your paper, you'll see it when we, I think on a couple, like I said, a couple of the online days I have you listening to the podcast, you'll see she has a theme for each of the, each of the episodes. So this FDR one is through Eleanor's eyes. Is anybody doing FDR? What? Did I already ask you this? Yeah. You asked is it, who's, is anybody doing, is, are people doing Lincoln? Yes, we, we have some Lincolns? Oh, God. How do we? That's a, that just, that might be a first. You should just find out who everyone's doing right now. <laughs> so, is so is it, who's doing, who's doing FDR's, forward a president and a modern president we're going to do in the okay so um that'll be good so if you you know if you're you know you obviously have to start but if you're you know doing one of these ones that we're going to talk about pretty soon you may get it you know, may get another idea or something from class or or whatever but okay anything else on the anything else on the paper Okay, we feel like we got a good handle on it. Okay, one to five things, don't do more than five. All right, and if you're gonna do one, you better really sell it. Like, as I was listening to the podcast again, this is one where you could, I think you could write a whole paper on Eleanor's influences on, on, uh, on FDR. There's enough there to do it, but. Okay, can I ask a question about the, video, the Friday's movie? Oh yeah, we were, I was going to talk about that for a second too. The Bachelors video, mm -hmm. Presidential Courage. Yeah, so they were talking about Lincoln and how he, for a second, considered revoking the Emancipation Proclamation or seeing if he could wiggle up. Is that, like, how do we know that's even true? You know, like, th does that make sense? Is how do we know he's just not claiming that because he didn't? He, so, who's not claiming it? Well, so the guy that wrote the Bachelors? Yeah. No, so, he, he how, wavered. He did waver. I mean, um, so that guy is... He, he's one of the top. You know, we got, we have, we have stuff from all these presidents. We have the internal documents. We have the conversations, and that's what historians okay. do. Or do we have any historians in here? 
You're going, we go in, the historians go and they find the first-hand accounts and the documents and the, and the notes. And I, my personal opinion, it wasn't like he was. I don't think he was going to switch. Yeah, it was more like he considered. Well, and the only reason I was asking because you know that TED talk. Yeah. I went home and I watched that TED talk three times. And yeah. I called all my family, made everyone watch it. Yeah. But like after that TED talk, it's like those are like almost two compete, you know, two competing narratives. Yeah. Because you have her saying like he knew this was his moment, and then the other guy saying, well, he, you know, he was wavering because he wanted to win the presidency again, and so that's kind of where that question came from. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I think you could have a difference of opinion. I I don't know that wavering is the best word for it. Mm -hmm. I, I probably don't. I probably wouldn't wouldn't have used that word. I mean. Um, so you're right though, you have two, so you have two kind of historians that are really well known. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I don't think he was going to, from my understanding of what I've studied, I don't think there's going to be a switch there. Okay. Um, more like, to me it was more like, yeah, I don't like the word wavering, because I don't think he really was wavering. I think he's considering making sure and then going ahead um, with it, but, okay. And I'll have our opinions, right? Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys all get a good grasp of what, what he's trying to say in his book, President of Courage? Okay. I, I like it because you know it's a good focus and he, and he profiles um, different presidents. And so presidential courage is doing something that is difficult and you're doing it for the benefit of the country and not, not for yourself. And I think that's something we really need out of our presidents, a focus on you know, not just what you, what you need to do in your presidency in your next election, but what is good for the country. Okay, quick current event, because I thought it was interesting in terms of the class. Did you guys see, I think it was 40 plus congressmen from different parties signed a letter to Biden yeah. urging him not to go to war without consideration from the Congress? Now, I thought that was a nice gesture um, in terms of reigning in presidential power. How about a letter that says, we're gonna hold you in in breach of, we're gonna we're gonna possibly impeach you if you go to war without. That would be even better, I think. But well, I thought it was nice that they wrote a letter. I mean, <laughs> if they were gonna do that, they would need to wait until after things exploded, and then if he did jump in without considering all those things, then it would be. Yeah. Like, yeah. But don't we have like? Isn't there a lot of concern? Because I know we aren't technically in Ukraine because we're not part of NATO, but we're like right at the border of Ukraine and helping them anyway. So isn't there like a lot of concern with that too? Yeah, and I, I think, I don't think they, I think they're, I think what the letter is saying, look, we don't really wanna, I mean, it, it's focused on troops, you know, but I think Congress should be, if we're gonna fight a proxy war or, or arm or whatever, that ought to be Congress too, right? For, in my opinion, but yeah, I don't. Could you even call it a proxy war? Like, <laughs> Be the first time since World War II that we're in direct conflict. So. Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, the the war looks like it started, right? So. Or a fired up again. This has been going on. It's it's happening, right? Um, it's interesting. So I I, I don't know. Politics is tricky. I, I don't want, I don't know if I make any predictions. I would I, I doubt that we would get involved in a head-on conflict with Russia. I think, I think Ukraine's kind of on their own. Yeah, well, yeah. You, you'll try to, I think what Europe, Europe and the United States will do is try to help them any way we can without being directly involved. Um, we issued a bunch of sanctions already. I don't know what that's really gonna do. The Germans said, the Germans said we're 
we're not doing this pipeline that they were, were working on getting approved. The pipeline running directly from Russia to Germany. Um, they said we're putting that on hold now. And, um, the thing that worries me is, and I don't want to go to war either. The thing that worries me is, is you have a you have a guy who's sort of this old guard. We would love to get back to the former Soviet Union situation, and if he if he can do what he wants to do in Ukraine, what's stopping him from doing it in other ex USSR countries? Dr. Lamarone, I was just at his office, and he was saying that um, there's part of Moldova too. It's a breakaway state. Yeah. And he says that you know if they just recognize these people, then it's likely that they're gonna. And he has his like PhD in European and something. And so he, he said that it's likely that Russia does the same in Moldova too. Yeah, that's he's the one to talk to. He's that's his area of expertise, in fact, and he served a mission in uh, in that area. Was it Ukraine, in fact? I think I think it was, was like it? Lithuania, wasn't it? Or no, Estonia? it's not. Estonia. Yeah, it's one of the Russian Latvia. La it's Latvia. Yeah. That's right. It's Latvia. It's not Ukraine. It's not yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I knew it was one of those. Anyways, yeah, like it's unfortunate. We like I said. I think a few class periods ago, there was a moment there in the 90s where Russia could have shifted in a certain way and it didn't. <laughs> it looked good for a minute and then it was like, okay, now we're this thing that, and it's not the Russian people at all, it's the, it's the leaders. So, yeah. It was really interesting seeing uh, Putin's press conference that he stayed with his ministers because there's a video going around that I saw of his um, like intelligence minister. He was stumbling, so he's like scolding him on um, a pre-recorded video saying, speak clearly, and eventually the minister accidentally says, I support having Donbass, uh, Donetsk, and Luhansk joining the Russian Federation. And people were like, wait, wait, we're not considering that. Yeah. <laughs> we're considering when it become independent. Yeah. So that was fun. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. Hopefully, it, it, the problem is when you have the other issue is it, it all this stuff always affects the economy, the worldwide, not just you know our economy, but the world world economy, and because we're all so intertangled in it. But I read that Kuwait and Saudi Arabia have already announced that they're picking up the slack and that they're going to start pumping. Oh, more oil. Yeah, so that it doesn't affect prices. Right. Never let good international prices go to waste. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I guess. In some ways, it kind of shows you, again, you know, this is a political science class, it shows you that maybe the failures of the international system to stop these things, right? I mean, that's the, that would be the ideal, is the ability for us to stop this type of a thing, but um, it's, just, it's just difficult when you have, you know, a leader like that that's willing to, kind of a rogue leader that's willing to do whatever. And, so much power. Yeah, it's in a lot of power, and you're one. Of, it's one of the strongest countries in the world, and and you and you don't. And people would, you know, a lot of people that don't really study this stuff would say, well, let's just go stop him and let's send. No, I mean, it's, you're talking about, you know, if we directly confront the Russians, you're talking about World War III. They're playing video games. Yeah, so, so that's the that's the other problem with these. And you're talking about two countries that have huge amounts of nuclear weapons, so it's really kind of scary, but. Um, that's the real issue with like anything with us and Russia and anything with us in China as well. They're, we're just so big. But. There's also a big concern with if we start fighting with Russia, China will take down to the 
Yeah. But China just just yeah, and it could blow into a a wider scale war. But China just condemned Russia in this on the UN Security Council. China and Russia, or China and India, both stayed neutral. Both like vocally condemned what what they were doing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I this is pretty pessimistic. There'll there'll be a World War Three um, at some point, but I don't know that right now is the time. So, it, yeah, and it will be the it'll be the war to end all wars. <laughs> Call of Duty's like waiting. They're like, we're not releasing a game for three more years. <laughs> well, I'll leave it at that. Oh, let's start talking about Armageddon for the next 25 minutes. Okay, so FDR, what? What do you? What do you guys pick up for? Let's talk about his background first before we get into the presidency. Starting like like with the, with the parents and he's he's an only child, right? Rich family. How did how did being an only child kind of impact him? Do you think? Super controlling mom. Is any <laughs> super controlling mom? Is anybody an only child in here? No, no only. You're you're an only child. Do you feel like did your parents like did they? You feel like they focused on you a lot? No. They were pretty good that way, right? No. <laughs> With FDR, this was. Bordering like almost an, with his mom, it's an unhealthy. It's she, yes, it's almost an obsession. Um, now they were great parents, loving. They gave him everything he wanted, but it's just psychologically she goes a little too far with like. She was, you know, he was the apple of her eye, and, and she was involved in everything, and even even to when he, you know, gets married and stuff, she yeah. still wants to be involved in his life a lot. Um, and I don't, I don't mean that you shouldn't have a relationship with your, I have a close relationship with my mom, but not, you know, she's advising me on all kinds of stuff. And <laughs> now there's some good parts and I'll get to that in a second of her relationship with him, but it's a little helicopter mom times four. Or something. <laughs> right. One of the cool things they did with him is, and they had a really, you know, they basically lived on a kind of an estate, um, and you guys know the Roosevelt's, great American family. There's some money there, right? Um, they traveled to Europe a lot. He actually learned German. Um, got to see a lot of the world capitals, and, and I think that was really good for him to get kind of out of um, out of the country and, and get to see some some of that stuff and and all that. What else? Um, anything else uh, about his? Before we get maybe into the political career, um, his parents instilled an importance of uh, importance of public service. He was held to high standards. So those are all those are all good things. He was a he was a good but not great student. So you'll see this with some, and I think it's I think it's it's true of me. It's true of a lot of us. Is uh, FDR could have been great had he applied himself a little better. Right, um, you know, when I was in high school, I sort of just skated by with with a three point five and didn't try real hard. And then I got into college, and I was like, I was like, why am I not just crushing it? So I had sort of a shift. Um, so I think that's true. Uh, you'll see that with some of these presidents is they could have been better students, and then and then either they 
they don't make that shift or someone in their life helps them make that shift and, and then they really kind of start to excel. Um, it even happens with Eleanor when she's, she goes to Europe and kind of has a, a mentor and this mentor says, look, you're, you have the potential to be great. You need to start doing this, this, and this. Yeah. Um, so is Mary his cousin? Yeah, Eleanor. <laughs> she's a fifth cousin. So fifth cousin is, do you, do you guys even know any of your fifth cousins? No. Fifth cousin is, so fifth cousin once removed. So here's the, here's the fun fact. She is Teddy Roosevelt's niece. Mm. Yeah. So fifth cousin is pretty far down the, the line. So another, another, you want to know a family fun fact? Yeah. <laughs> Brooklyn's like shaking her head. My, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law come from the same polygamous family. Oh, two God. different mothers. Oh, wow. so that's, as, that's as LDS as you get right there. <laughs> so technically, they're cousins, but like way, it's like, a, like, I don't even know. It's like, it's like further than fifth. It's like way. That's some good family history facts. And by all appearances, my wife seems normal. So more than normal. She's... <laughs> She just, every, every once in a while, she just stops and goes like this and for a minute, and then she starts up again. So, <laughs> no. so she's super smart. Um, yeah, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're LDS and, and you're American and, and both sides of your families were pioneers, there's some, there can be some interesting family history. Like, folks were in jail for polygamy. People were married to, <laughs> it's kind of fun stuff. Um, so yeah, it's she's a Roosevelt, so she didn't have to change her last name, but pretty, you know, that fifth cousin's pretty far down the line. So the thing that's, you know, the thing that's kind of, the thing that's a little weird about it is that he was, he was kind of obsessed with Teddy, and he marries Teddy's niece. That's a little strange, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. It talks about him having a, a headmaster that was influential in his life. So you'll see these different mentors. One of, the, one of the things that the book doesn't talk about that the podcast does is he had a, he had a guy named Louis Howe who, was a, who basically was a, became his political advisor, who was a former kind of newspaper guy, who was pretty influential in, in helping him early on kind of craft his public style and work with the press and, and just kind of give him some strategy stuff. So... Everybody, all these presidents need those people that are going to be influential to them. At Harvard, he was sort of an indifferent student. He was the editor-in-chief of the newspaper. We talked about this in terms of applying himself. Now, the, his mother's control in his life is, you know, pretty big deal. One, two of the things politically that the book said that he learned from her was selective candor and the creative use of indirection. What do you get? What, what does that even mean? Creative use of indirection. So making a point, but doing it subtly. Okay, being subtle. Knowing, you know, candor, knowing how to speak the right way at the right time. Um, he learned those things from his mother. Um, though, this is the weird fact. She moved to, when he first got married, she moved to Boston with them. She lived with them. Did you guys catch that? Um, so what do we have for, well, well, I'll say this. So she didn't like, 
At first, she didn't like Eleanor at all. Because she was taking her spot. <laughs> she didn't think Eleanor was good enough for him. Mm-hmm. And then later on, she really she gets to know Eleanor, and she really likes her. And <coughs> she becomes kind of an ally. Yeah. Didn't it say his father died like when he was a freshman? Yes, his father died when he was a freshman. Yeah. Um, so I guess that would make Freshman sense. year, yeah. He was the only child. That would be the only child that she had. So I guess that would It got worse. Sense. Yeah, it got worse. In fact, you're talking about moving there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he'd kind of been the focus, focus anyways, but. Yeah, I don't know. Mothers and their sons. I mean, I get it a little bit. I have, I have, a, my wife's pretty obsessed with my kid. Sounds like we're first. But she's not a, Brooklyn, is she a, she's not a, going to the level of, of, uh, <laughs> She's not going to move in with him and leave me and go to college with Bowen. Okay. All right. So what, what do we have career? There's a couple of career things, and then we'll stop it before we get to the presidency. Then let's do, let's do there's a couple of um, trials in his life. So we have, we have the law career, right? What else? Assistant secretary to the, in the Navy. Brooklyn, what happens in class stays in class. Mm-hmm. It's like Las Vegas. Didn't he follow like, <laughs> Kenny's path to the presidency? We're very close. Well, yeah, oh, some of it, yeah. Um, there's some similarities. I'm glad you brought that up. So, so he does kind of the, the governor part and the Navy part, right? Um, he's kind of following because he admires Teddy. Um, it's that's interesting that he has a similar path. Yeah, I don't think that's an accident. But I'm glad you brought that up. Um, governor, sort of, sort of hand selected for that. Yeah, governor of New York. Teddy was also governor of New York, and then, and then president. Pretty good experience, right? Oh, we got state. We forgot state. State legislatures. Um, he was in the. He was in New York State Senate. So you have some legislative experience here. Got some military experience. You've got governor. It's pretty good. Pretty good experience. What are the two events that the book talks about? The two kind of trials. Polio is one. <clears throat> The other one has to do with his wife. The affair? Yeah. Should we do, want to do the affair first? I think the thing that makes the affair even harder than just having an affair was Lucy Mercer was Eleanor's social secretary. She found some letters. Have affairs with more than just her them. Well, didn't she say at like the end of his life, like they, like they were clearly. You're still in my thunder. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, did, it could have had more affairs. Yeah, this is the one that's notable. Um, he so basically, they she wants to get divorced. Sarah's mom comes in and brokers a kind of a treaty 
between the two of them and they stay together um and then you know, fast forward i think the sad part is i mean affairs are bad right it would be nice if all married couples could get along and all that great stuff but i think the sad part for her is is that she worked so hard to to be a good partner to him and help him not only in his political career but like even physically right because of the polio and then he doesn't live up to his promise to to not see Lucy anymore. So you guys know the story? When he dies of a cerebral hemorrhage in his early in his fourth term, he's with Lucy Mercer. Yeah. So so at some point later on he they got they got back together. Um What? Hmm. What's the deal what's so why why is why is polio important? Yeah. So it hurts his health a lot. He can't. He can't walk, right? So this is this is obviously before before the vaccine for polio came out. Um, a lot of people were were terribly affected by polio and um, could cripple you, and it, it did it did him. And so, in terms of when he goes to the presidency, this is somebody that can't can't walk or anything like that. They actually retrofitted a lot of different equipment to make it work for him. So, like his car, he could use with hand cranks. Um, the The press was really good. There aren't a lot of photos of him. Like the, most of the photos you'll see of FDR, are like him standing up, and there's not a lot of people taking advantage of the fact that this is a this is a weakened president. So that's interesting because I don't think that happens today. The what? Didn't he try hiding it as much as he could? Well, yeah. I mean, he did. I mean, he he went to great lengths to try to to try to look like he didn't have a disability. But the, the press was aiding him in this quest to to a presentation of self. So you know that one of the things that's interesting is you know that has anybody ever seen the photo of JFK Jr. playing underneath the the desk, the with the door. That door was put in for with FDR to hide his legs and the braces and all that stuff. Um, so there was a lot of that kind of stuff that's interesting. So it's going to have an impact on that. And but he but he goes through this period of of rehabilitation. How does and the book doesn't really get into this. So unless you guys have studied that there, you wouldn't know this. So I'll just tell you a little bit. He goes to a place called Warm Springs, Georgia. It's a really poor area. And he basically puts some money into it and turns the place, uh, this facility into a polio um, rehabilitation center. And he spends a lot of time there trying to get better and, and, and does help himself physically, but is never, ever, never able to walk again. So there's kind of two parts to that, that process of, of trying to remain strong and having hope and that you'll walk again and, re and realizing you can do things even though you have a disability. And then also being in Georgia, seeing, seeing poor people, seeing um, those, the, a lot of sharecroppers and, and people struggling and, and things like that really had an impact on him when, when he becomes president and he's dealing with the depression. So, you see why these episodes are good? <laughs> so those, those, those two events are kind of life-changing events. And then for Eleanor's 
from Eleanor's position, she has to now take care of him. Like, I don't know that you guys, like, the extent, that you guys don't know the extent of this. Like, like catheter and enema take care of. Yeah. So he, he's, he has problems that way, too. Um, so that's a big deal, that you have to do that kind of stuff every day. Um, and then not only that is, she becomes, Eleanor becomes very political, and all, it, it is becoming very political at this point, and when he decides to run for governor, she actually knows more people in the, in this, the important people in the state of New York in politics than he does, right? Because she's been spending time meeting with those folks while he's recuperating <laughs> and all of that. So she's, she's a real partner. Um, you know, I, I think all presidents, and it's a team, but this is like to the next, this is as good of a first lady as we've ever had in terms of a, a partner. So she would have made a great president herself. Um, she could have been a great president. So um, he's lucky that he's lucky he had her. And then the other thing with Eleanor, while I'm talking about her, she, she when she had been so involved, pre, kind of pre-president doing things, and she was on a bunch of boards and other things like that, he wanted her to kind of stop when he became president, and she sort of refused. <laughs> but, and she, what happened, there was a, there was a, I can't forget the name of it, but there was a, there was basically an encampment, it was a, it was a, a Hooverville, a full of World War I veterans living in tents with their families and they're super poor. And she decided to just go visit them. So she goes and she's like, you know, eating food with her hands and like just, you know, being poor with the, with the poor folks. And the press like is eating this thing up. And the, the headline is, the headline is, and, and um, Herbert Hoover had sent the troops to try to get rid of this camp. And the headline is, Hoover sent the troops, FDR sent his wife. And it was just like this, like the best headline you could ever have. And he's like, oh, hold on a second. I need to be, I need, she's, she can, she can get me good press and she's smart and I got to keep letting her do her thing. So, so it's pretty interesting. And then another thing about her during the presidency is she had, um, she had her, she had a column, like a weekly column in a newspaper. And she would, this is interesting, right? She would, she would write about political things. And sometimes she would actually disagree with the president inside of the newspaper and and then she'd try to convince him of things so she really was a a, a good partner and and uh, obviously as you guys know after he died she had a longer she had a long political career after that as well um fighting for women's rights and other things so yeah she's you know she's sort of the mount rushmore of first ladies for sure i mean i always think of her and abigail for me is another great um Abigail Adams is another great first lady. And anyways, okay. Let's let's get into the presidency here. So he comes into the presidency, and the first part of his presidency, you have the depression going on, right? So what how does he try to deal with that? What is the strategy there? This, new, this thing called the New Deal that historians put it into kind of two parts. You have New Deal One, and that's how you used to teach it in American Foundations. New Deal One and New Deal Two. Um, a lot of New Deal One is done in the first hundred days, right? 
How in the world is he able to get so, so much past in the first 100 days? Well, some of it has to do with his own political skill and, and, and public communication skills, but also he's got, he's got a Congress, right? Well, and Hoover, Hoover, Hoover kind of set the, you know, he set the, the policies in place, but they weren't effective until after. So FDR kind of picked up, piggybacked. didn't he say at the end that most of the New Deal was piggybacked off of it? It wasn't. I mean, no. Because Hoover, the only, so here's Hoover's deal. Hoover's not doing anything. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, and in fact, his public communications campaign was horrible. He's like, oh, if you guys will just buck up and we'll get through this and we, we need the private charities to solve all this. And, and he's not, and the confidence level's not there or any of it. And then, so, so he's like, hands off, because he, he doesn't believe, Hoover doesn't believe in, in direct investment in, in terms of helping the country until late. So very late in his presidency, you get things like the, the Hoover Dam project that he's starting to head a little bit in the right direction, I think. But he does, other than that, he doesn't do much at all. So FDR comes in, he's got, a, he's got a Democratic Congress. He's charismatic, and he's like, okay, we're going to do this and this and this and this. Um, so he's very active in passing all this legislation with the Congress. So obviously timing, you have a crisis, you have a Democratic Congress, and then you have a great president. That, that's the answer to how you get this all done. Um, one of the things, so, you know, and he's able during his presidency to, with, with the Congress to get all these policies um, passed that are, are still part of things we do today, like the Social Security Act and the food stamp. The food stamp program started out really small as a small part of the agricultural department, and there weren't that many people on food stamps. It's grown into a big program. Um, you have all the banking regulations, the Securities and Exchange Commission, all the works programs, the Tennessee Valley Authority. I mean, all this stuff, uh, you guys have studied some of it coming through school. Um, it's an impressive amount of things that were, that were passed. And I'm one who, who wants to give FDR quite a bit of credit for, for doing this and help, helping us get out of the Depression. One of the, one of the things, if you want to criticize FDR on some of this stuff, one of the things that he did was he was so active that some of his policies contradicted themselves, and he would sort of do things really fast, and then think and then think about it later. So the book the book talked about him being like a quarterback that would go. Any football players in here? Quarterback or football fans? F um, go to the line, like evaluate, like what's happening, and then call a play, right? And then like, oh, that didn't work. Let's do something else. I think in the end, that he he's got enough good programs that are working. Um, plus, he's so active, and then he's selling it with this, this great public speaking ability that it's successful, right? You know, he could have cleaned up some of the stuff a little bit, but that's okay. Any other thoughts on, on the New Deal? So most nearly everybody, I think, I think any, you know, respectable folks that are study this stuff, Presidential historians and political science, most of us give him pretty pretty good credit for for getting us out of the depression, um, his policies. But it does, yeah. I was going to ask, do you think that if he hadn't done a lot of those like policies with the New Deal, if the U.S. would have become as big of a superpower today as it is? Oh, superpower? Well, yeah, because I mean, 
Um, a lot of like that stuff helps with the depression, but it's like, well, should we reverse it like once the depression is done because the country was fine before? Well, like the question is, is the are we yeah. So so yeah, this is there's sort of two parts to this. If you're if you're asking domestically, does it does it make does it make government bigger? Does it make presidents more active? Yes, for sure. But from a from a kind of a global superpower standpoint, it's really it's really we're already headed in that direction because of World War One. The war is the icing on the cake. It's World War Two getting involved in World War Two and being successful that really kind of catapults us. Um, but it's also our economy doing well and growing and things like that. The other thing maybe to mention real quick is I think this is a little bit of a shift in, in terms of like how you deal with emergencies as president. This is, this is Keynesian economics, right? You throw a bunch of money at it and, and new programs and get people working and all that money hopefully will, will get us out of the situation and boost the economy. I think when you look at recent emergency, economic emergencies, Republicans and Democrats are doing the exact same thing. It's Keynesian economics. Whether it's, whether it's Bush after, after the banking crisis in 2008 and then Obama or you know, other, other, pre other modern presidents, they're sort of doing, that's sort of the playbook now. But at some point, I, I like to say that if it's bad enough, we, everybody becomes Keynesian. You gotta spend to get out of it, but. Um, okay. What about his, no, there's so much stuff here. What about his speaking style and his going public and his presentation and all that? Was, how did that kind of impact his presidency? Is this the greatest public speaker in the history of the presidency? I think so. I think he's number one. Yeah, I think he's the best. Um, you can make an argument for maybe Lincoln, um, a Reagan, um, even Teddy's up there somewhere. Um, I mean, Teddy got shot in Cuba. Yeah, yeah, guess there's that. If you get if you get shot and then finish your, it's kind of, he's got a little Joseph Smith in him. Um, Joseph Smith got famously got tarred and feathered and didn't get any sleep and then gave the speech the next day. Right? Teddy gets shot and continues to give the speech. So, that's a true story. The the moose riding the moose? No, uh, not true. <laughs> so let me. How do we know? I want it to be true. I investigated. Yeah. So this is a little bit of his, just a little bit of the, the inaugural address. To speak the truth, the whole truth, frankly and boldly. Nor need we shrink from honestly facing conditions in our country today. This great nation will endure as it has endured will revive and will prosper. I mean, I think everybody in here has probably heard him speak before. He's really good. Um, he knows how to use the inflections in his voice to talk. It's conversational style. He's able to explain things. And yeah. Wasn't he also one of the first ones who was like widely heard by? Yes, because because the radio the radio is being used now, and and he's going to use what are known as the fireside chats, right? So he gave. Uh, a, a few dozen of these, uh, they were spread out. I think everybody thinks, oh, this is like every week. No, it was like spread out, and he would, he would kind of advise the country on what he's doing with the New Deal and explain really simply in simple layman's terms what's happening, and then with the war as well, 
Well, another thing that he did that I think is like really, really big for FDR that we sometimes overlook is when he desegregated the defense industry because I think he kind of like started the way for the civil rights movement a little bit. Um, what other thoughts on the other thoughts on the speaking style? The book said he had a he made poetry out of words. He, he told it like it was. Um, you know, two per year for two per year. So you're talking about for the fireside chat. So you're talking about two dozen or so speeches. Yeah. He would meet with reporters and field questions. He relished showing off. So what about his? What is about his political skill in particular? Said said he's very charming. He had a, a charm that would melt glaciers. That's pretty. That's pretty impressive there. Yeah, he measured his actions. What about his? What about his uh, administrate? How did he? How did he? How did he handle his cabinet? Now this I would not recommend. He liked to have him come in, and argue in front of him, like a full-on debate. And then he would, and then he would listen, and he'd pick a side. Now maybe he already had a side before, and then he just went with what he had. Or maybe he was. What's the? What do you, do you see the problem? What's the problem here? You're going to get fighting because it's so aggressive. I mean, this is like a full-on debate happening. You're going to get people thinking he's unsure of what he wants to do, and he's just whoever's the best debater, he's going to go with them. So there's some real problems in how you. I would. It's not a recommended style of of doing your 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 cabinet. He looked wishy-washy by doing it that way. Okay, um, he had superb timing. He, he courted the press. He explained his policies. He's met with legislators. He did all the things that you're supposed to do. That's what. That's why you know he studied in terms of his domestic policy and his political skill and all of that. Um, one other thing that the the book sort of ran out of time. One of the things the book brought up is the 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 war right and the lend lease program. How was the lend lease program influential in kind of the story of how we get into the war? What do you think? What is the lend lease program? Yeah. So we would lend to England and France everything that they needed, basically. We would lend weapons. And with the idea we could get them back, this is kind of flawed. A lot of these weapons you're not, you know, the bullets you're not getting back. <laughs> Some of this stuff, I mean, if it's a plane, you can fix it or whatever. But it's a way to help, but not directly get us involved, but get do what else? Get us in the, headed in the direction of the war, because FDR basically knew we were going to war, that we were going to have to go to war a couple of years before the America, he was ready to get the Americans to head that direction. So... It's part of the part of the strategy there. Um, okay, so he's the two big things. He's credited for the getting us out of the depression. He's credited for the war. Um, where where are some examples of where he maybe misstepped, misstepped or made mistakes politically, or that the book brought up? You guys remember any? Yeah, core packing was one. Right. He misread Stalin at Yalta, the book talks about. The Japanese internment was not a good look, obviously. 
And then what about the, so what about the, the book says he failed the Jews in Europe. Is that a fair criticism? I don't, I don't know that it is. Well, I do know that, um, when I went to the Holocaust Museum, they talked about it a little bit, and they said that his influence with a lot of other countries could have persuaded him to take more uh, clean views. Yeah, and there were we could take it more, who, yeah. And there were even some who like, showed up down in Florida because they tried to go to Cuba first, yeah. and we just like sent them back. Yeah, I think that's so fair. There's ways he definitely could have, but at the same time, it, yeah. it might not have mitigated it. Yeah, and that, I wasn't even thinking of that side of it, but yeah, why, why don't we help open up the you know, those that were able to escape. So you see like Hollywood portray, you've all seen the Hollywood movie where it's one of these war movies and the soldier, you know, they, they come across the, the, the prison camp, right? And they're all surprised. Well, that's true because they didn't know. But who knew? The, we knew about the camps. FDR knew about the camps long in advance of everybody else. And he chose to say, the strategy was we need to win the war to save the Jews. And, I, and what are you going to do, paratroop soldiers into, you know, Germany and Poland and other places and put them at risk? So, yeah, it sort of is what it is. Um, it's a bad deal. But, because I don't know, you're not dealing with, if it was some weak country that you could just do that, you're dealing with the Germans that are, had ramped up for this thing and were nasty and brutal and all that stuff. So, can't, you can't just paratroop all your troops to the, and free the Jews. Does that make sense? So that's kind of, and that was his sort of strategy. Is, you know, in order, to get, in order to save these folks, we got to win the war. So, okay. Um, all right, let's go to the ratings because we're running out of time. So, For public communication, I mean, is it anything other than a, I have a plus plus for Yeah. For all the things that we talked about, I mean, if you're going to study someone, he's almost, it's almost perfect. Um, just the delivery is great. The presentation is great. The messaging is great. The, t- the timing is great. If you're going to give speeches, you can't give big speeches every week. Now, did you guys know the president still has a week, uh, they have a weekly radio address now. No one listens to it. I, I assume Biden's doing it too. Um, I know Trump stopped doing it for a little while. Um, but it's kind of been a tradition for, for there to be a, a radio address every week. Okay. And then, and then you know, we're great with the press and, and all that stuff. And then also we talked about use, using Eleanor as part of this package. Uh, that was smart too. So that's as good as it gets. Um, what about organizational capacity? Plus minus. Plus minus is what I have. So you guys read it. I was going to make, you know, really, really quick. I think public communication is pretty clear. Organizational capacity is how he was at rallying his colleagues and structuring their activities. So how, what's the management style? So um, the minus, what's the minus for? The, the plane that aids off of each other, right? So this is plus plus, plus minus. Political skill, plus plus. plus. Yeah, the 100 days model, 
the Lend-Lease program, the international skills, the working with Western democracies, the post-war stuff, it's all really, really good. Uh, work, you know, working, getting those things through Congress and you know, getting out there and trying to influence people and, and, and all that. What about vision? Yeah, this is surprising, right? So, you guys, I think you, you understand what political skill is. Vision is what are the goals of the country and how do you, how do you get us to, to kind of follow you? So, of course, he had, to say FDR didn't have vision would kind of be crazy, right? So, he, of course, he had some vision. What is he getting criticized for here? The counter, the contradictory policies, the, the, the audibles, you know, the quarterback analogy, all that. They, he gives an example of a, of a meeting where um, he's trying to blend two different economic policies into the same thing as a way to criticize some of the policies. Okay, so plus minus. Oh, we got to do political skills. So vision, plus minus, political skill, plus plus. Guys, this is the biggest problem here. I can't lick my... There we go. The teacher can't lick his finger because of COVID. Cognitive style, I have plus minus? Plus minus. Yeah. So this is kind of rude. Second class intellect. Um, first class temperament. Wasn't really interested at Harvard. Couldn't see contradictions in policy. Insensitive to abstractions. But he had a great memory. He could synthesize information. So cognitive style is the ability to get you know, all this information that's coming into you as president and being able to not get too bogged down and to, and to work through it and see connections and be productive and all that stuff, right? What's the S stand for? Political skill. Yeah, thank you. Postscript. Um, emotional intelligence. What's emotional intelligence? The firm taming of the soul. When I was a when I was a kid, I was I think I was it was a, I was eleven. You guys are gonna hate me after I tell you the story. I was having a bad it was a baseball. I was having a bad game. I think I grounded out two times and I grounded out again, and I was frustrated. And so, I took it out on the first baseman by stepping on his ankle. That's not emotional intelligence. That's an eleven-year-old developing brain with a temper. <laughs> this would no, not steel spikes. Fortunately, it's one of the, it's probably you know it's a little thing, but it's one of the worst things. I look back and I was like, I was like what, was, what was I doing? Um, I got in big trouble. My dad was my coach, and uh, he wasn't having any of that, so I got in a lot of trouble for it. But that you know, um, as a as a you know, I'm telling you the story as someone who had a really bad temper growing up into into high school. Um, a temper can be a really good thing if you know how to bridle it. If you don't know how to bridle it, it can, it can destroy you. <laughs> so, emotional intelligence has a little bit to do with temper, but it's also a couple of other things that we're going to see during the, the reading of these presidents. It's also things like pride, um, you're letting your ideas, and you're, you're right all the time, and that could be the reason that you don't have emotional intelligence. So it's a few different things besides just temper. Uh, Matt, like I said, Max Weber called this the firm taming of the soul. So being able to manage your emotions rather than 
not being dominated by them and using them for constructive purposes. So I, could, I guess it could be anything like you get so obsessed about something that's an emotional thing that you just can't function, right? Um, but again, with these presidents, it's usually, it's usually pride or temper type of a thing. Or maybe just some actual psychological issues. <laughs> Nixon, right? All right. You guys don't hate me. Will you guys forgive me too? I've been forgiven already. So. I feel bad about it. I still feel bad. Just, 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 just say yes. I'll say yes. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. We're not there yet. We got to go back. Do you guys want to hear the other funny story from baseball, though? It's really good. So the other funny story. Again, my dad's the coach, right? I got a line drive right to the Unowets. <laughs> Man, if you've ever had this happen to you, you know what I'm talking about. It's not a good feeling. But the funny part about it was my dad literally yells, and everyone in the whole place, he said, I, don't, I didn't think you had any. <laughs> and everybody laughs. And meanwhile, I'm writing in pain on the ground. And <laughs> then it got worse because my grandpa was there, and my grandpa's a doctor, and he's like, I need to see those. <laughs> thanks, Grandpa. Thanks, Grandpa. So it, was a, it could have been the, the single most embarrassing 45 minutes of my life. But it, was what it, it is what it is. So what, why is the emotional intelligence a plus minus? It's, is this temper or is it pride? It's pride, right? The, the, the book says the temperament is perfect. It's not, he's, not do, he's not cleaning kids at first base, right? He's got real, he's cool, calm, collected, smooth operator. It's pride. I'm right. I'm not gonna, I don't need to listen or I'm perceiving things differently. Um, he talks about the, you know, we've got a couple minutes, so we definitely need to talk about this. The, four, the third term and the fourth term. I'm the only one that can do this. Nobody else can come in here and do this. I've got to stay. That's pride, right? Now, he might have been right. And he was a great president, but it kind of shows a weakness there. The mess up at Yalta. Um, one of the other things it talks about is, and we'll talk, and when we do Truman, we'll mention this as well. This blows my mind every time I bring it up. Truman had no idea that we had an atomic bomb that could blow up cities. Until he became president. And that's like, wasn't that like his first major decision? Yeah, they like come to him and they say, oh, oh, we, by the way, Truman, we've been working on a project called the Manhattan Project, and we have a bomb that blows up cities. Maybe the vice president should know about that in case he becomes president, which is what happened, right? So that shows a certain amount of um, lack of emotional intelligence as well. All right, thanks for your participation. Friday, we usually do it before FDR because I like to get ahead in the, in the video. You're watching the, those little, the little vignettes. It will start with FDR, and I think we'll go to like JFK or... Nixon somewhere in there and stop and then we'll watch the second half later on Monday we're doing Truman so make sure you read Truman and then come with your thoughts on on the kind of the background and the, the ratings and all that so the total here on the way out you got an 8 so 8 out of 12 that's not the highest by the way who's the highest I'm not telling you you have no reason to come to class no no give us a hint 
It's a, I'll give you a hint, it's a president, a later on president. <laughs> Who do you think it is? <clears throat> it's not, it's not Carter. Probably Ike. Is that, that's what it is. Yeah, I think he's higher. I think he gets, I'm, trying to think, I'm trying to remember if he gets a nine or I think he gets a nine. I just listened to a podcast about him. Hey, Ross, I have yeah. a question about next semester. Okay. <laughs> so I was looking on like, the registration catalog. It says you're teaching the legislative branch next semester. Whatever it says, yeah. Okay. There we go. We'll get started in just a second. Yes. Oh, just just crack it, yeah. Thank you. Sorry to lock you out. I'm one of those professors you don't get here two minutes early. I just lock you out. Can't come in. A basketball coach that was one of my teammates was on time. It was the very first time we ever met, and he got in trouble for not being 10 minutes early. And we'd never met this coach. He was looking for reasons to get rid of people, so he made one up. We had a we had two people transfer, person fake an injury. No, really. He faked an injury for the whole season so they didn't have to play for this coach. I was in my senior year, or otherwise I would have been gone. This coach has now since been removed from his last job. He's in his late 60s now for player abuse. Just doing the same stuff that he did with us. So 
he was a piece of work. Oh, just call you every name in the book and treat you like the dog. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a wild. It was a wild year. We had a we had a practice where he he said something I can't repeat to one of the players, and it was so offensive that I can't even blame the kid. He charged him, and he was going to deck him. Nice. Unfortunately, the assistant coach tackled him before he got there. Oh, I would have loved it if he would have just punched him, because he would have been done. I mean, he, he would have, his job would have been, it would have been the end of his. We would have had an assistant coach as the head coach, and it would have been wonderful. <laughs> but I played, I played for three coaches in college, and I had... It was it was particularly hard because I had just had a coach that I really liked, that I respected, that that was LDS, that treated us well, and then this new guy came in. He was the exact opposite. So it was tricky. All right, let's get started. Who would who would like to say the prayer? Thank you. Lord, dear Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this day and for the time we get to gather together in class and learn about the executive branch. We pray that you will have the Spirit here to teach us and help us remember what we need to know. We love thee and say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, it's been a little while. I feel like this class, we should, we should probably meet on President's Day. Because it is a class about the presidency, but there would be a mutiny maybe if we try to do that. So hopefully, hopefully maybe you thought about presidents a little bit on President's Day, or reflected on what we're studying. I went through the store, they're like, how's your President's Day been? And I'm like, I'm doing nothing. <laughs> Just the usual President's Day. Well, I was, yeah, I went and had a little fun, so. Um, couple of couple of things before we get into FDR, I, you know, we're, we are switching gears, so you've read, you've read this first chapter. It's a little different than the textbook. Um, it is kind of a biographies of these presidents, short biographies of these presidents, and then we're kind of reading them, focusing on leadership style and, and those characteristics and remembering that this is a class about the presidency. We can take these things and apply them to business leaders or, or whoever, or, you know, even in our own lives. You know, we're all we're all businesses where we can influence people. What can we take from learning about these presidents to kind of incorporate to our you know to our own lives? But um, I once had a don't do this. I once had a student evaluate me on these six categories. Oh. Yeah, and like gave me some minuses. So that's, that's what you don't do, right? You got to see. <laughs> no, he was pretty good. He. I think he got me on organizational style a little bit, which is fair. It's fair. So, um, okay. So yeah, it is about presidents, but it's also about that le those leadership characteristics. And that's why that's what I really like about teaching this class is, you know, it it translates out into into other things pretty well. If you're going to start talking about presidents, we're really focusing. Why not start with somebody who a lot of people have number one, right? So it's a good place to start. Um, anyways, before we get to him, are you working on your papers? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, 
they're, you know, we don't have that much longer till they're, we're, we're in what, week eight now? So these last four or five weeks move really, really quick. Okay. So be working on that. Let me know if I can help. One thing, and I'm going to play a little clip from it here in a minute, and I'm going to use a couple, I think I'm using a couple on online days. There's a podcast called Presidential. Have I talked about this already? So Presidential, Washington Post, has anybody listened to an episode of Presidential yet? Okay. So for your, the person you're writing about, did you listen to? So that's what I was going to remember to tell you guys. It does a really good job. If you're doing a modern president, FDR forward, I think a good place, and you've already started, but a good place to, to get some information to get you to think a little bit are those podcasts. Um, I know that. I was reminded of that again when I was listening a little bit of the FDR one. But it's called Presidential. And I'll show you, so I'm going to play a little clip here in a minute. But So if you go to, right here, Washington Post, it's on Spotify, it's wherever you get your podcast. This is directly from, I think, the Washington Post website. She does, she does all of them starting with Washington through Trump. So, um, and, and a new one on Joe Biden? Yeah. Okay. Is anybody doing Joe Biden? Pretty recent. So. Anyways, the, the, she does a really nice job of, of doing some things we're going to do in here, but also like stuff related kind of to what the purpose of the paper is, which sort of psycho, a little psychoanalysis of the president. The FDR podcast, and I'll talk about the FDR podcast today and some of the things I'll say, is really good about getting into the influences, talking about Eleanor and how influential Eleanor is on his presidency and all of that. So um, I would highly suggest it. So, and it, what she'll do is take a focus. And again, you'll, even if you don't listen to it for your paper, you'll see it when we, I think on a couple, like I said, a couple of the online days I have you listening to the podcast, you'll see she has a theme for each of the, each of the episodes. So this FDR one is through Eleanor's eyes. Is anybody doing FDR? What? Did I already ask you this? Yeah. You asked is it, who's, is doing, is, are people doing Lincoln? Yes, uh, we, have, we have some Lincolns? Okay. How do we... That's a, that that should, might be a first. You should just find out who everyone's doing right now. <laughs> so is it... Who's doing... Who's doing FDR forward? A president, a modern president we're going to do in the... Okay. So... Um... That'll be good. So if you, you know, if you're, you know, you obviously have to start, but if you're, you know, doing one of these ones that we're going to talk about pretty soon, you may get it, you know, may get another idea or something from class or, or whatever, but. Okay, anything else on the, anything else on the paper? Okay, we feel like we got a good handle on it. Okay, one to five things, don't do more than five, all right? And if you're going to do one, you better really sell it. Like, as I was listening to the podcast again, I, this is one where you could, I think you could write a whole paper on Eleanor's influences on, te, on, uh, on FDR. There's enough there to do it. But can, can I ask a question about the, video, the Friday's movie? Thing? Oh, yeah. We were, I was going to talk about that for a second, too. The Bachelors video, mm -hmm. Presidential Courage. Yeah, so they were talking about Lincoln and how he... For a second, consider revoking the Emancipation Proclamation or seeing if he could wiggle out. Is that like, how do we know that's even true? You know, like, 
that, does that make sense? Is how do we know he's just not claiming that because he didn't? He, so, who's not claiming it? Well, so the guy that wrote that's close. Yeah. No, so, he, he waver. He did waver. I mean, uh, so that guy is. He. He's one of the top. You know, we got we have we have stuff from all these presidents. We have the internal documents. We have the conversations, and that's what historians okay. do. Or do we have any historians in here? You go. We go in. The historians go and they find the first-hand accounts and the documents and the and the notes. And I, my personal opinion, it wasn't like he was. I don't think he was going to switch. Yeah, it was more like he considered. Well, and the only reason I was asking because you know that TED talk. Yeah. I went home and I watched that TED talk three times. And yeah. I called all my family. I made everyone watch it. Yeah. But like after that TED talk, it's like. Those are like almost two compete, you know, two competing narratives. Yeah. Because you have her saying like he knew this was his moment, and then the other guy saying, well, he, you know, he was wavering because he wanted to win the presidency again, and so that's kind of where that question came from. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I think you could have a difference of opinion. I I don't know that wavering is the best word for it. Mm -hmm. I, I probably don't. I probably wouldn't wouldn't have used that word. I mean, um, so you're right though. You have two. So you have two kind of historians that are really well known. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I don't think he was going to, from my understanding of what I've studied, I don't think there's going to be a switch there. Okay. Um, more like, to me, it was more like, yeah, I don't like the word wavering, because I don't think he really was wavering. I think he's considering making sure and then going ahead um, with it. But. Okay. Well, we can all have our opinions, right? Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys all get a good grasp of what what he's trying to say in his book, Presidents of Courage. Okay. I, I like it because, you know, it's a good focus and he, and he profiles um, different presidents. And so presidential courage is doing something that is difficult and you're doing it for the benefit of the country and not, not for yourself. And I think that's something we really need out of our presidents, a focus on, you know, not just what you, what you need to do in your presidency in your next election, but what is good for the country. Okay, quick current event, because I thought it was interesting in terms of the class. Did you guys see, I think it was 40-plus congressmen from different parties signed a letter to Biden yeah. urging him not to go to war without consideration from the Congress? Now, I thought that was a nice gesture um, in terms of reigning in presidential power. How about a letter that says, we're going to hold you in, in breach of, we're going we're to possibly impeach you if you go to war without... That would be even better, I think. But well, I thought it was nice that they wrote a letter. <laughs> I think if they were going to do that, they would need to wait until after things exploded, and then if he did jump in without considering all those things, then it would be. Yeah. Be like, yeah. But don't we have, like, isn't there a lot of concern? Because I know we aren't technically in Ukraine because we're not part of NATO, but we're like right at the border of Ukraine and helping them anyway. Isn't there like a lot of concern about that too? Yeah, and I, I think I don't think they I think they're I think what the letter is saying, look, we don't really wanna I mean it, it's focused on troops, you know, but I think Congress should be if we're gonna fight a proxy war or or arm or whatever, that ought to be Congress too. Right. For in my opinion. But yeah, I don't if you even call it a proxy war, like it'd be the first time since World War Two that we're in direct conflict. So. Yeah. So, it's interesting, um, the, the war looks like it started, right, so. Or fired up again, this has been going on. It's, it's happening, right, um, it's interesting, so I, I, 
I don't know. Politics is tricky. Uh, I don't. Want, I don't know if I'd make any predictions. I would. I, I doubt that we would get involved in a head-on conflict with Russia. I think. I think Ukraine's kind of on their own. Yeah. Well. Yeah. You, you'll try to. I think what Europe, Europe and the United States will do is try to help them any way we can without being directly involved. Um, we issued a bunch of sanctions already. I don't know what that's really going to do. The Germans said. The Germans said we're we're not doing this pipeline that they were, were working on getting approved. The pipeline running directly from Russia to Germany. Um, they said we're putting that on hold now. And, um, the thing that worries me is, and I don't want to go to war either. The thing that worries me is, is you have a you have a guy who's sort of this old guard. We would love to get back to the former Soviet Union situation, and if he if he can do what he wants to do in Ukraine, what's stopping him from doing it in other ex USSR? countries. Dr. Lamarone, I was just at his office and he was saying that um, there's part of Moldova too. It's a breakaway state. Yeah. And he says that, you know, if they just recognize these people, then it's likely that they're going to And he has his like PhD in European or something. And so he, he said that it's likely that Russia does the same in Moldova too. Yeah, that's, he's the one to talk to. He's, that's his area of expertise, in fact, and he served a mission in, uh, in that area. Was it Ukraine, in fact? I think, I think it was, was like it? Lithuania, wasn't it? No, it's Estonia? not. Yeah, it's one of the Russian. Latvia. La, it's Latvia. Yeah. That's right. It's Latvia. It's not Ukraine. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So. I knew it was one of those. Anyways, yeah, like, it's unfortunate. We, like I said, I think a few class periods ago, there was a moment there in the 90s where Russia could have shifted in a certain way and it didn't. <laughs> it looked good for a minute, and then it was like, okay. Now we're this thing that, and it's not the Russian people at all. It's the, it's the leaders. So, yeah. It was really interesting seeing uh, Putin's press conference that he stayed with his ministers, because there's a video going around that I saw of his um, like intelligence minister. He was stumbling, so he's like scolding him on um, a pre-recorded video saying, speak clearly, eventually the minister accidentally says, I support having Donbass, uh, Donetsk, and Luhansk joining the Russian Federation. And people were like, wait, 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 we're not considering that. Yeah. We're considering when they become independent. Yeah. So that was fun. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. Hopefully, it, it, the problem is when you have, the other issue is it, it all, this stuff always affects the economy, the worldwide, not just you know our economy, but the world, world economy, because we're all so intertangled in this. But I read that Kuwait and Saudi Arabia have already announced that they're picking up the slack and that they're going to start pumping. Um, oh, more oil. Yeah, so that it doesn't affect prices. Right. Good, good international prices go to waste. <laughs> but, yeah, I guess in some ways it kind of shows you, again, you know, this is a political science class, it shows you that maybe the failures of the international system to stop these things. Right. I mean, that's the, that would be the ideal is the ability for us to stop this type of a thing, but um, it's just it's just difficult when you have, you know, a leader like that that's willing to with kind of a rogue leader that's willing to do whatever and so much power too. Yeah, it's in a lot of power, and you're one. It's one of the strongest countries in the world, and and you and you don't. And people would, you know, a lot of people that don't really study this stuff would say, well, let's just go stop him and let's send. No, I mean, it's, you're talking about. You know, if we directly confront the Russians, you're talking about World War III. They're playing video games. Yeah, so, so that's the that's the other problem with these. And you're talking about two countries that have 
huge amounts of nuclear weapons. So it's really kind of scary. But um, that's the real issue with like anything with us and Russia and anything with us in China as well. They're just, we're just so big. But. There's also a big concern with yeah. But China just, just Yeah, and it could blow into a a wider scale yeah. war. But China just condemned Russia in this on the UN Security Council. China and Russia or China and India both stay neutral, both like vocally condemned what what they were doing. Yeah. I mean I I, I this is pretty pessimistic. There'll there'll be a World War Three um at some point, but I don't know that right now is the time. So and, yeah, and it will be the it'll be the war to end all wars. <laughs> Call of Duty's like waiting. They're like, we're not releasing a game for three more years. <laughs> well, I'll leave it at that. Oh, let's start talking about Armageddon for the next twenty-five minutes. Okay, so FDR, what? What do you what do you guys pick up for? Let's talk about his background first before we get into the presidency. Starting like like with the, with the parents and he's he's an only child, right? Rich family. How did how did being an only child kind of impact him? Do you think? Super controlling mom. Is any <laughs> super controlling mom? Is anybody an only child in here? No, no only. You're you're an only child. Do you feel like did your parents like did they? You feel like they focused on you a lot? They were pretty good that way, right? <laughs> With FDR, this was bordering like almost an, with his mom. It's an unhealthy. She, yes, it's almost an obsession. Um, now they were great parents, loving. They gave him everything he wanted, but it's just psychologically she goes a little too far with like. She was. You know, he was the apple of her eye, and, and she was involved in everything. And even even to when he, you know, gets married and stuff, she yeah. still wants to be involved in his life a lot. Um, and I don't I don't mean that you shouldn't have a relationship with your. I have a close relationship with my mom, but not. You know, she's advising me on all kinds of stuff, and <laughs> now there's some good parts, and I'll get to that in a second of her relationship with him. But it's a little helicopter mom times four or something, <laughs> right? One of the cool things they did with him, is, and they had a really, you know, they basically lived on a kind of an estate. Um, and you guys know the Roosevelt's, great American family. There's some money there, right? Um, they traveled to Europe a lot. He actually learned German. Um, got to see a lot of the world capitals, and, and I think that was really good for him to get kind of out of... Um, out of the country and, and get to see some some of that stuff and and all that. What else? Um, anything else uh, about his before we get maybe into the political career? Um, his parents instilled an importance of uh, an importance of public service. He was held to high standards. So those are all those are all good things. He was a he was a good but not great student. You'll see this with some, and I think it's I think it's it's true of me. It's true of a lot of us. Is FDR could have been great had he applied himself a little better, right? Um, you know, when I was in high school, I sort of just skated by with with a three point five and didn't try real hard. 
and then I got into college and I was like, I was like, why am I not just crushing it? So I had sort of a shift. Um, so I think that's true. Uh, you'll see that with some of these presidents is they could have been better students and then, and then either they, they don't make that shift or someone in their life helps them make that shift and, and then they really kind of start to excel. Um, it even happens with Eleanor when she's, she goes to Europe and kind of has a, a mentor and this mentor says, look, you're, you have the potential to be great. You need to start doing this, this, and this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Eleanor, <laughs> she's a fifth cousin. So fifth cousin is, do you, do you guys even know any of your fifth cousins? No. Fifth cousin is, so fifth cousin once removed. So here's the, here's the fun fact. She is Teddy Roosevelt's niece. Uh, yeah. So fifth cousin is pretty far down the, the line. So another, another, you want to know a family fun fact? Yeah. <laughs> Brooklyn's like shaking her head. My, fa my mother-in-law and my father-in-law come from the same polygamous family. Oh, two God. different mothers. Oh, wow. so that's, as, that's as LDS as you get right there. <laughs> so technically, they're cousins, but like way, it's like, a, like, I don't even know. It's like, it's like further than fifth. It's like way. That's some good family history facts. And by all appearances, my wife seems normal. So more than normal. She's... She just, every, every once in a while, she just stops and goes like this and for a minute, and then she starts up again. So, so she's super smart. Um, yeah, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're LDS and, and you're American and, and both sides of your families were pioneers, there's some, there could be some interesting family history. Like folks were in jail for polygamy. People were married to, <laughs> it's kind of fun stuff. Um, so yeah, it's she's a Roosevelt, so she didn't have to change her last name, but pretty, you know, that fifth cousin's pretty far down the line. So the thing that's, you know, the thing that's kind of, the thing that's a little weird about it is that he was, he was kind of obsessed with Teddy, and he marries Teddy's niece. That's a little strange, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. It talks about him having a, a headmaster that was influential in his life. So you'll see these different mentors. One of, the, one of the things that the book doesn't talk about that the podcast does is he had a, he had a guy named Louis Howe who, was a, who basically was a, became his political advisor, who was a former kind of newspaper guy, who was pretty influential in, in helping him early on kind of craft his public style and work with the press and, and just kind of give him some strategy stuff. So... Everybody, all these presidents need those people that are going to be influential to them. At Harvard, he was sort of an indifferent student. He was the editor-in-chief of the newspaper. We talked about this in terms of applying himself. Now, the, his mother's control in his life is, you know, pretty big deal. One, two of the things politically that the book said that he learned from her was selective candor and the creative use of indirection. What do you get? What, what does that even mean? Creative use of indirection. So making a point, but doing it subtly. Okay, being subtle. Knowing, you know, candor, knowing how to speak the right way at the right time. Um, he learned those things from his mother. Um, 
the, this is a weird fact. She moved to, when he first got married, she moved to Boston with them. She lived with them. Did you guys catch that? Um, so what do we have for, well, well, I'll say this. So she didn't like, at first she didn't like Eleanor at all. Because she was taking her spot. <laughs> she didn't think Eleanor was good enough for him. Mm-hmm. And then later on she really, she gets to know Eleanor and she really likes her. And she becomes kind of an ally. Yeah. Didn't it say his father died like when he was a his, Yes, his father died when he was a freshman. Yeah. Um, so I guess that would make Freshman sense. year. Yeah. He was the only child. That would be the only family she had. So I guess that would It got worse. Family. Yeah, it got worse. In fact, you're talking about moving there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he'd kind of been the focus. Focus anyways. But... Yeah, I don't know. Mothers and their sons. I mean, I get it a little bit. I have, I have. A, my wife's pretty obsessed with my kid. Sounds like we're is, first. Edibles. But she's not a is Brooklyn. Is she a? She's not a, going to the level of of. Uh, <laughs> she's not going to move in with him and leave me and go to college with Bowen. Okay. All right. <clears throat> So what, what do we have career? There's a couple career things, and then we'll stop it before we get to the presidency. Then let's do, let's do there's a couple of um, trials in his life. So we have, we have the law career, right? What else? Assistant secretary to the, in the Navy. Brooklyn, what happens in class stays in class. It's like Las Vegas. Didn't he follow like, <laughs> Very close. Well, yeah. Oh, some of it, yeah. Um, there's some similarities. I'm glad you brought that up. So, so he does kind of the, the governor part and the Navy part, right? Um, he's kind of following because he admires Teddy. Um, it's that's interesting that he has a similar path. Yeah, I don't think that's an accident. But I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Governor, sort of, sort of hand selected for that. Yeah, governor of New York. Teddy was also governor of New York, and then, and then president. Pretty good experience, right? Oh, we got state. We forgot state. State legislature. Um, he was in the he was in New York State Senate. So you have some legislative experience here. Got some military experience. You've got governor. It's pretty good. Pretty good experience. What are the two events that the book talks about? The two kind of trials. Polio is one. The other one has to do with his wife. The affair? Yeah. Should we do, want to do the affair first? I think the thing that makes the affair even harder than just having an affair was Lucy Mercer was Eleanor's social secretary. She found some letters. Didn't he have affairs with more than just her, though? Well, didn't she say at like the end of his life, like they, like they were purely? You're stealing my, my thunder. Oh, sorry. 
Yeah, did, could he have had more affairs? Yeah, this is the one that's notable. Um, he so basically, they she wants to get divorced. Sarah's mom comes in and brokers a kind of a treaty between the two of them, and they stay together. Um, and then you know, fast forward. I think the sad part is, I mean, affairs are bad, right? It would be nice if all married couples could get along and all that great stuff. But I think the sad part for her is, is that she worked so hard to, to be a good partner to him and help him not only in his political career, but like even physically, right, because of the polio. And then he doesn't live up to his promise to, to not see Lucy anymore. So you guys know the story? When he dies of a cerebral hemorrhage in his early in his fourth term, he's with Lucy Mercer. Yeah. So, so at some point later on, he they got they got back together. Um. What? Hmm. What's the deal? What's so? Why? Why is? Why is polio important? Yeah. So it hurts his health a lot. He can't. He can't walk, right? So this is this is obviously before before the vaccine for polio came out. Um, a lot of people were were terribly affected by polio and um, could cripple you, and it, it did it did him. And so in terms of when he goes to the presidency, this is somebody that can't can't walk or anything like that. They actually retrofit a lot of different equipment to make it work for him. So like his car, he could use with hand cranks. Um, the The press was really good. There aren't a lot of photos of him. Like the, most of the photos you'll see of FDR are like him standing up and there's not a lot of people taking advantage of the fact that this is a, this is a weakened president. So that's interesting because I don't think that happens today. The what? Well, yeah, I mean, he did. I mean, he, he went to great lengths to try to, to try to look like he didn't have a disability. But the, the press was aiding him in this quest to, to a presentation of self. So you know that one of the things that's interesting is you know that, has anybody ever seen the photo of JFK Jr. playing underneath the, the desk the, with the door? That door was put in with FDR to hide his legs and the braces and all that stuff. Um, so there's a lot of that kind of stuff that's interesting. So it's going to have an impact on that. And but he but he goes through this period of of rehabilitation. How does and the book doesn't really get into this. So unless you guys have studied that there, you wouldn't know this. So I'll just tell you a little bit. He goes to a place called Warm Springs, Georgia. It's a really poor area. And he basically puts some money into it and turns the place, uh, this facility into a polio um, rehabilitation center. And he spends a lot of time there trying to get better and, and, and does help himself physically, but is never, ever, never able to walk again. So there's kind of two parts to that, that process of, of trying to remain strong and having hope and that you'll walk again and, re and realizing you can do things even though you have a disability. And then also being in Georgia, seeing, seeing poor people, seeing um, those, a lot of sharecroppers and, and people struggling and, 
and things like that really had an impact on him when when he becomes president and he's dealing with the depression. So, see why these episodes are good. <laughs> so those 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 two events are kind of life changing events, and then for Eleanor's from Eleanor's position, she has to now take care of him. Like I don't know that you guys like the extent that you guys don't know the extent of this. Like like catheter and enema take care of. Yeah. So he he's, he has problems that way too. Um, so that's a big deal that you have to do that kind of stuff every day. Um, and then not only that is she becomes Eleanor becomes very political, and all it, it is becoming very political at this point. And when he decides to run for governor, she actually knows more people in the in this the important people in the state of New York in politics than he does, right? Because she's been spending time meeting with those folks while he's recuperating <laughs> and all of that. So she's, she's a real partner. Um, you know, I, I think all presidents, and it's a team, but this is like to the next, this is as good of a first lady as we've ever had in terms of a, a partner. So she would have made a great president herself. Um, she could have been a great president. So... Um, he's lucky that he's lucky he had her. And then the other thing with Eleanor, while I'm talking about her, she, she when she had been so involved, pre, kind of pre-president doing things, and she was on a bunch of boards and other things like that. He wanted her to kind of stop when he became president, and she sort of refused. <laughs> but and she what happened? There was a there was a I can't forget the name of it, but there was a. There was basically an encampment. It was a it was a, a Hooverville, a full of World War One veterans living in tents with their families, and they're super poor. And she decided to just go visit them. So she goes, and she's like, you know, eating food with her hands, and like just you know, being poor with the with the poor folks. And the press like is eating this thing up. And the the headline is, the headline is, and and. Um, Herbert Hoover had sent the troops to try to get rid of this camp. And the headline is, Hoover sent the troops, FDR sent his wife. And it was just like this, like the best headline you could ever have. And he's like, oh, hold on a second. I need to be, I need, she's, she, can, she can get me good press and she's smart and I got to keep letting her do her thing. So, so it's pretty interesting. And then another thing about her during the presidency is she had, um, she had her, she had a column, like a weekly column in a newspaper. And she, this is interesting, right? She would, she would write about political things. And sometimes she would actually disagree with the president inside of the newspaper. And, and then she'd try to convince him of things. So she really was a, a, a good partner. And, and uh, obviously, as you guys know, after he died, she had a long, she had a long political career after that as well, um, fighting for women's rights and other things. So, yeah, she's, you know, she's sort of the Mount Rushmore of first ladies for sure. I mean, I always think of her and Abigail for me is another great, um, Abigail Adams is another great first lady. And Anyways, okay, let's, let's get into the presidency here. So he comes into the presidency and the first part of his presidency, you have the depression going on, right? So what, how does he try to deal with that? What is the strategy there? Community 
this, new, this thing called the New Deal that historians put it into kind of two parts. You have New Deal One, and that's how I used to teach it in American Foundations. New Deal One and New Deal Two. Um, a lot of New Deal One is done in the first 100 days, right? How in the world is he able to get so, so much passed in the first 100 days? Well, some of it has to do with his own political skill and, and, and public communication skills, but also he's got, he's got a Congress, right? Well, and Hoover, Hoover, Hoover kind of set the, you know, he set the, the policies in place, but they weren't effective until after. So FDR kind of picked up, piggybacked. didn't he say at the end that most of the New Deal was piggybacked off of it? It wasn't. I mean, no. Because Hoover, the only, so here's Hoover's deal. Hoover's not doing anything. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, and in fact, his public communications campaign was horrible. He's like, oh, if you guys will just buck up and we'll get through this and we, we need the private charities to solve all this. And, and he's not, and the confidence level's not there or any of it. And then, so, so he's like, hands off, because he, he doesn't believe, Hoover doesn't believe in, in direct investment in, in terms of helping the country until late. So very late in his presidency, you get things like the, the Hoover Dam project that he's starting to head a little bit in the right direction, I think. But he, other than that, he doesn't do much at all. So FDR comes in. He's got a, he's got a Democratic Congress. He's charismatic. And he's like, OK, we're going to do this and this and this and this. Um, so he's very active in passing all this legislation with the Congress. So obviously, timing, you have a crisis. You have a Democratic Congress. And then you have a great president. That, that's the answer to how you get this all done. Um, one of the things, so, you know, and he's able during his presidency to, to with, with the Congress to get all these policies um, passed that are, are still part of things we do today, like the Social Security Act and the food stamp. The food stamp program started out really small as a small part of the agricultural department, and there weren't that many people on food stamps. It's grown into a big program. Um, you have all the banking regulations, the Securities and Exchange Commission, all the works programs, the Tennessee Valley Authority. I mean, all this stuff, uh, you guys have studied some of it coming through school. Um, it's an impressive amount of things that were, that were passed. And I'm one who, who wants to give FDR quite a bit of credit for, for doing this and help, helping us get out of the Depression. One of the, one of the things, if you want to criticize FDR on some of this stuff, one of the things that he did was he was so active that some of his policies contradicted themselves, and he would sort of do things really fast, and then and then think about it later. So the book the book talked about him being like a quarterback that would go. Any football players in here? Quarterback or football fans? Um, go to the line, like evaluate, like what's happening, then call a play, right? And then like, oh, that didn't work. Let's do something else. I think in the end, that he he's got enough good programs that are working. Um, plus, he's so active, and then he's selling it with this, this great public speaking ability that it's successful, right? You know, he could have cleaned up some of the stuff a little bit, but that's okay. Any other thoughts on, on the New Deal? So most nearly everybody, I think, I think any, you know, respectable folks that are study this stuff, presidential historians and political science, most of us give him pretty pretty good credit for for getting us out of the depression, um, his policies, but it does yeah. I was gonna ask if you 
do you think that if he hadn't done a lot of those like policies with the New Deal, if the U.S. would have become as big of a superpower today as it is? Oh, superpower? Well, yeah, because I mean, um, a lot of like that stuff helped with the depression, but it's like, well, should we reverse it? Like, once the depression is done, because the country was fine before. Well, like the question is, is the are we? Yeah. So, so yeah, this is there's sort of two parts to this. If you're if you're asking domestically, does it does it make does it make government bigger? Does it make presidents more active? Yes, for sure. But from a from a kind of a global superpower standpoint, it's really it's really we're already headed in that direction because of World War One. The war is the icing on the cake. It's World War Two getting involved in World War Two and being successful that really kind of catapults us. Um, but it's also our economy doing well and growing. And things like that. The other thing maybe to mention real quick is I think this is a little bit of a shift in in terms of like how you deal with emergencies as president. This is this is Keynesian economics, right? You throw a bunch of money at it and, and new programs and get people working and all that money hopefully will will get us out of the situation and boost the economy. I think when you look at recent emergency, economic emergencies, Republicans and Democrats are doing the exact same thing. It's Keynesian economics. Whether it's, whether it's Bush after, after the banking crisis in 2008 and then Obama or you know, other, other, pre, other modern presidents, they're sort of doing, that's sort of the playbook now. But at some point, I, I like to say that if it's bad enough, we, everybody becomes Keynesian. You gotta spend to get out of it, but. Um, Okay. What about his... No, there's so much stuff here. What about his speaking style and his going public and his presentation and all that? Was, how did that kind of impact his presidency? Is this the greatest public speaker in the history of the presidency? I think so. I think he's number one. Yeah, I think he's the best. Um, you can make an argument for maybe Lincoln... Um, a Reagan, um, even Teddy's up there somewhere. Um, I mean, Teddy got shot in the Yeah, I guess there's that. If you get if you get shot and then finish your, etc. He's got a little Joseph Smith in him. Um, Joseph Smith got famously got tarred and feathered and didn't get any sleep and then gave the speech the next day. Right? Teddy gets shot and continues to give the speech. So, that's a true story. The the moose riding the moose no. I'm not true. <laughs> so let me. How do we know? I want it to be true. I investigated. <laughs> yeah. So this is a little bit of his, just a little bit of the, the inaugural address. To speak the truth, the whole truth, frankly and boldly. Nor need we shrink from honestly facing conditions in our country today. This great nation will endure as it has endured, will revive and will prosper. I mean, I think everybody in here has probably heard him speak before. He's really good. Um, he knows how to use the inflections in his voice to talk. It's conversational style. He's able to explain things. And yeah. Wasn't he also one of the first ones who was like widely heard by? Yes, because because the radio the radio is being used now, and, and he's going to use what are known as the fireside chats, right? So he gave 
uh, a few dozen of these. And they were spread out. I think everybody thinks, oh, this is like every week. No, it was like spread out. And he would, he would kind of advise the country on what he's doing with the New Deal and explain really simply in simple layman's terms what's happening and then with the war as well. Well, uh, another thing that he did that I think is like really, really big for FDR that we sometimes overlook is when he desegregated the defense industry because I think he kind of like started the way for the civil rights movement a little bit. Um, what other thoughts on the other thoughts on the speaking style? The book said he had a he made poetry out of words. He he told it like it was. Um, you know, two per year for two per year. So you're talking about for the fireside chat. So you're talking about two dozen or so speeches. Yeah. He would meet with reporters and field questions. He relished showing off. So what about his, what is about his political skill in particular? Said so, so he's very charming. He had a, a charm that would melt glaciers. That's pretty, that's pretty impressive there. Yeah. He measured his actions. What about his, what about his uh, administrator? How did he, how did he, how did he handle his cabinet? Now this I would not recommend. He liked to have him come in and argue in front of him, like a full-on debate. And then, he would, and then he would listen, and he'd pick a side. Now, maybe he already had a side before, and then he just went with what he had. Or maybe he was, what's the, what do, you, do you see the problem? What's the problem here? You're going to get fighting because it's so aggressive. I mean, this is like a full-on debate happening. You're going to get people thinking he's unsure of what he wants to do, and he's just whoever's the best debater, he's going to go with them. So there's some real problems in how you. I would. It's not a recommended style of of doing your 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 cabinet. He looked wishy-washy by doing it that way. Okay. Um, he had superb timing. He courted the press. He explained his policies. He's met with legislators. He did all the things that you're supposed to do. That's, what, that's why you know, he studied in terms of his domestic policy and his political skill and all of that. Um, one other thing the, the, the book, I'm sort of running out of time. One of the things the book brought up is the, the, the war, right, and the Lend-Lease program. How was the Lend-Lease program influential in kind of the story of how we get into the war? What do you think? What is the Lend-Lease program? Yeah. So we would lend to England and France everything that they needed, basically. We would lend weapons, and with the idea we could get them back, this is kind of flawed. A lot of these weapons you're not, you know, the bullets you're not getting back. <laughs> Some of this stuff, I mean, if it's a plane, you can fix it or whatever. But it's a way to help, but not directly get us involved, but get do what else? Get us in the, headed in the direction of the war because FDR basically knew we were going to war, that we were going to have to go to war a couple of years before the Ameri he was ready to get the Americans to head that direction. So it's part of the, part of the strategy there. Um, okay, so he's, the two big things, he's credited for the getting us out of the Depression, he's credited for the war. Um, where, where are some examples of where he maybe misstepped misstepped or made mistakes politically or that the book brought up? Do you guys remember any? Um, 
Yeah, court packing was one, right? He misread Stalin at Yalta, the book talks about. The Japanese internment was not a good look, obviously. And then what about the, so what about the, the book says he failed the Jews in Europe. Is that a fair criticism? I don't, I don't know that it is. Well, I do know that, um, when I went to the Holocaust Museum, they talked about it a little bit, and he said that his influence with a lot of other countries could have persuaded him to take more uh, clean Jews. Yeah, and there were even we could take more, yeah. And there were even some who, like, showed up down in Florida because they tried to go to Cuba first, yeah. and we just, like, sent them back. Yeah, I think that's so fair. Like, there's ways he definitely could have, but at the same time, it, yeah. it might not have mitigated it. Yeah, and that, I wasn't even thinking of that side of it, but yeah, why, why don't we help open up the you know, those that were able to escape. So you see, like, Hollywood portray. you've all seen the Hollywood movie where it's one of these war movies and the soldier, you know, they, they come across the, the, the prison camp, right, and they're all surprised. Well, that's true, because they didn't know. But who knew? The, we knew about the camps. FDR knew about the camps long in advance of everybody else. And he chose to say the strategy was we need to win the war to save the Jews. And, I, and what are you going to do, paratroop soldiers into, you know, Germany and Poland and other places and put them at risk? So, yeah, it sort of is what it is. Um, it's a bad deal. But, because I don't know, you're not dealing with, if it was some weak country that you could just do that, you're dealing with the Germans that are, had ramped up for this thing and were nasty and brutal and all that stuff. So, you can't, you can't just paratroop all your troops to the and free the Jews. Does that make sense? So that's kind of, and that was his sort of strategy. Is, you know, in order to get, in order to save these folks, we got to win the war. So, okay. Um. All right, let's go to the ratings because we're running out of time. So, For public communication, I mean, is it anything other than a, I have a plus plus for Yeah. For all the things that we talked about, I mean, if you're going to study someone, he's almost, it's almost perfect. Um, just the delivery is great. The presentation's great. The messaging's great. The, t the timing's great. If you're going to give speeches, you can't give big speeches every week. Now, did you guys know the president still has a week? Uh, they have a weekly radio address now. No one listens to it. I, I assume Biden's doing it too. Um, I know Trump stopped doing it for a little while, um, but it's kind of been a tradition for for there to be a, a radio address every week. Okay, and then and then you know we're great with the press and and all that stuff. And then also we talked about use, using Eleanor as part of this package. Uh, that was smart too. So that's as good as it gets. Um, what about organizational capacity? Plus minus. Plus minus is what I have. So you guys read it. I was going to, you know, really, really quick. I think public communication is pretty clear. Organizational capacity is how he was at rallying his colleagues and structuring their activities. So how, what's the management style? So um, the minus, what's the minus for? The, the plane that aids off of each other, right? So this is plus plus. 
minus political skill plus plus. Yeah, the 100 days model, the Lend-Lease program, the international skills, the working with Western democracies, the post-war stuff, it's all really, really good. Uh, work, you know, working, getting those things through Congress and, you know, getting out there and trying to influence people and, and, and all that. What about vision? Yeah, this is surprising, right? So, you guys, I think you, you understand what political skill is. Vision is what are the goals of the country and how do you, how do you get us to, to kind of follow you? So, of course, he had, to say FDR didn't have vision would kind of be crazy, right? So, he, of course, he had some vision. What is he getting criticized for here? The counter, the contradictory policies, the, the, the audibles, you know, the quarterback analogy, all that. They, he gives an example of a, of a meeting where um, he's trying to blend two different economic policies into the same thing as a way to criticize some of the policies. Okay, so plus minus. Oh, we got to do political skills. So vision, plus minus, political skill, plus plus. Guys, this is the biggest problem here. I can't lick my... There we go. The teacher can't lick his finger because of COVID. Cognitive style, I have plus minus? Plus minus. Yeah. So this is kind of rude. Second class intellect. Um, first class temperament. Wasn't really interested at Harvard. Couldn't see contradictions in policy. Insensitive to abstractions. But he had a great memory. He could synthesize information. So cognitive style is the ability to get you know, all this information that's coming into you as president and being able to not get too bogged down and to, and to work through it and see connections and be productive and all that stuff, right? What's the S stand for? Political skill. Yeah, thank you. Postscript. Um, emotional intelligence. What's emotional intelligence? The firm taming of the soul. When I was a when I was a kid, I was I think I was it was old, I was eleven. You guys are gonna hate me after I tell you this story. I was having a bad it was a baseball. I was having a bad game. I think I grounded out two times and I grounded out again, and I was frustrated. And so, I took it out on the first baseman by stepping on his ankle. That's not emotional intelligence. That's an eleven-year-old developing brain with a temper. <laughs> this was no, not steel spikes. Fortunately, it's one of the, it's probably you know it's a little thing, but it's one of the worst things. I look back and I was like, I was like what was I doing? Um, I got in big trouble. My dad was my coach, and uh, he wouldn't have any of that, so I got in a lot of trouble for it. But that you know, um, as a as a you know, I'm telling you the story as someone who had a really bad temper growing up into into high school. Um, a temper can be a really good thing if you know how to bridle it. If you don't know how to bridle it, it can, it can destroy you. <laughs> so emotional intelligence has a little bit to do with temper, but it's also a couple of other things that we're going to see during the, the reading of these presidents. It's also things like pride, um, you're letting your ideas, and you're, you're right all the time, and that could be the reason that you don't have emotional intelligence. So it's a few different things besides just temper. 
uh, Matt, like I said, Max Weber called this the firm taming of the soul. So being able to manage your emotions rather than not being dominated by them and using them for constructive purposes. So I, could, I guess it could be anything like you get so obsessed about something that's an emotional thing that you just can't function, right? Um, but again, with these presidents, it's usually, it's usually pride or temper type of a thing. Or maybe just some actual psychological issues. <laughs> Nixon, right? All right. You guys don't hate me. Will you guys forgive me too? I've been forgiven already. So. I feel bad about it. I still feel bad. Just, 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 just say yes. I'll say yes. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. We're not there yet. We got to go back. Do you guys want to hear the other funny story from baseball, though? It's really good. So the other funny story. Again, my dad's the coach, right? I got a line drive right to the Unowets. <laughs> Man, if you've ever had this happen to you, you know what I'm talking about. It's not a good feeling. But the funny part about it was my dad literally yells, and everyone in the whole place, he said, I, don't, I didn't think you had any. <laughs> and everybody laughs. And Meanwhile, I'm writing in pain on the ground. And <laughs> then it got worse because my grandpa was there, and my grandpa's a doctor, and he's like, I need to see those. <laughs> thanks, Grandpa. Thanks, Grandpa. So it, was, it could have been the single most embarrassing 45 minutes of my life. But it, was what it, it is what it is. So what, why is the emotional intelligence a plus minus? It's, is this temper or is it pride? It's pride, right? The, the, the book says the temperament is perfect. It's not, he's, not do, he's not cleaning kids at first base, right? He's got really, he's cool, calm, collected, smooth operator. It's pride. I'm right. I'm not gonna, I don't need to listen or I'm perceiving things differently. Um, he talks about the, you know, we've got a couple minutes, so we definitely need to talk about this. The, four, the third term and the fourth term. I'm the only one that can do this. Mm-hmm. Nobody else can come in here and do this. I've got to stay. That's pride, right? Now, he might have been right. And he was a great president, but it kind of shows a, a weakness there. The mess up at Yalta. Um, one of the other things it talks about is, and we'll talk, and when we do Truman, we'll mention this as well. This blows my mind every time I bring it up. Truman had no idea that we had an atomic bomb that could blow up cities. Until he became president. And that's like, wasn't that like his first major decision? Yeah, they like come to him and they say, oh, oh, we, by the way, Truman, we've been working on a project called the Manhattan Project, and we have a bomb that blows up cities. Maybe the vice president should know about that in case he becomes president, which is what happened, right? So that shows a certain amount of um, lack of emotional intelligence as well. All right, thanks for your participation. Friday, we usually do it before FDR because I like to get ahead in the, in the video. You're watching the, those little, the little vignettes. And we'll start with FDR, and I think we'll go to like JFK or Nixon, somewhere in there and stop. And then we'll watch the second half later on. Monday, we're doing Truman, so make sure you read Truman. And then come with your thoughts on, on the kind of the background and the, the ratings and all that. So the total here on the way out, you got an 8. So 8 out of 12. That's not the highest. <laughs>
by the way. Who's the highest? George. I'm not telling you. Ta- You'll have no reason to come to class. No, no, give us a hint. Give us a hint. It's a, I'll give you a hint. It's a president, a later on president. <laughs> Who do you think it is? <clears throat> it's, not, it's not Carter. Probably Ike. That, that's what it is. I think he's higher. I think he gets, I'm, trying to think, I'm trying to remember if he gets a nine or I think he gets a nine. I just listened to a podcast about him. Yeah. Okay. So I was looking on like the registration catalog. It says you're teaching the legislative branch next semester. Whatever it says, yeah. 